Hi there, welcome to GMI, the Guitar Music Institute podcast, episode number 49. My name is Jed Brocky, and welcome to the show if you've never heard of or heard any of the content from this channel. Today I'm talking to a music lawyer. Now, music lawyers or lawyers and music, uh, from my perspective, it really didn't compute. Lawyers were just million miles away but many years later when I was involved more with working uh, with a small record label and meeting music lawyers I began to see the benefits of actually getting to know and to use music lawyers and it wasn't just for the nasty things and I think that's what's going to come through in this interview with Johnny Tate who's one of Scotland's foremost music lawyers. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview that's coming up. It's not too long, it's about just over half an hour. Johnny talks at great length about all the different areas that music lawyers are used in and you'll probably find that there are a lot of areas you never thought they would be involved in. So that's coming up right away. Uh, as I said, this is the 49th episode of this podcast. If you don't know anything about GMI, come on over to the guitarmusicinstitute.com. That's our main content website where there's loads of podcasts, guitar lessons, articles for guitar players and if you come over to the gmiguitarshop.com you can get lots of free and paid products. Okay so coming up right now is that interview with Johnny Tate. Johnny thanks very much for doing a podcast with GMI. You're my first ever music lawyer it's always nice to be the first, Jed. I feel, I feel honoured. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure lots of uh, musicians have heard about music lawyers, but a little like me, I suppose, in, in my life, it's a bit of a black art. I don't really know what it's all about. I was really excited to meet up with you again, chat about certain things, and it got me thinking, actually, this is something that the audience out there, I'm sure, would love to know more about. So can you, in your own time, tell us exactly what music lawyers do. Fill us in on the detail. Yeah, no problem. Well, I suppose before I do that, it's maybe uh, I, I should probably see why I became a music lawyer because that is possibly, that answers a lot of questions. So as you know, Jed, I worked uh, in, in the music business um, and surrounding industries for a number of years. So I worked with artists directly. I worked with labels. I worked in A&R. Um, I toured. Uh, I managed. I run studios. And then latterly, I got involved in music education. And uh, we were running courses up and down the UK. And that's where our paths crossed many, many years ago, I think, probably about 10, 15 years ago now, Jed, uh, which is slightly impressive when you think of it that way. And throughout all of those roles within music, I was uh, I was dealing with music lawyers, and that was for contracts for bands, um, it was recording deals, it was publishing deals, it was merchandising deals, all these kind of different deals and contracts that you hear about. But it was also latterly when I was dealing with education, I was dealing with lawyers um, on a, a more commercial basis. So it was looking at um, endorsements, it was looking at sponsorships, it was looking at, you know, even down to the fine art or, or the real black art of employment contracts uh, and things like that. So I've always been in and around the legal sphere, even uh, even working more directly in music and more directly in, in education. So for reasons which I'm still not entirely sure uh, or how I came to 
to, to this decision. And around about 2006, I thought it would be a good idea whilst running um, or, or being the vice principal of the academy group and having my own consultancy business, I decided to go to night school um, up at uh, Napier University in Edinburgh to do a, a, a law degree. And that was primarily to, I think, just to give me a little bit more of an understanding when I was going into negotiations with lawyers um, so that I could understand a bit more of what they were saying. Um, and, and so I gained my qualification. And then I moved on from the academy and started working in law about five or six years ago. And at that point, it was a more commercial role. And then I was dealing with intellectual property matters. So I was dealing with things like trademark applications, trademark infringements. I was dealing with commercial sales agreements, that kind of thing. And then I got the opportunity about three years ago to really go into sort of specialised music industry and entertainment law. And so we, we set up a, 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 a team in Edinburgh, uh, the firm I'm working at just now, and we, you know, we concentrate on the creative, uh, creative sector in Scotland. So what I, what I do in my day-to-day work is looking at anything from publishing deals, recording contracts, management contracts. Um, we do a lot of publishing deals. We do a lot of licensing deals. So whether that be for uh, for musicians themselves, whether it's for bands, whether it's licensing a song to uh, to an advert or to a campaign, or whether that's licensing it to a record label. So. I get involved in the the actual agreements themselves. So myself and my team uh, that I work with that come up with the agreements, and um, we we do all the negotiations and the deals around about it. So that that's that's kind of the things that I I, I deal with primarily. I'm sure a lot of people listening to that will feel that it's wow, it's a really exciting areas that you're involved in. I'm interested to explore all of those areas, but can we maybe just go back a little and ask you maybe? kind of stupid question when would you say that musicians just your bog standard musicians who may be in a band when would they want to contact a music lawyer when would that be a good thing to do right at the beginning or once things are up and running no i would say a hundred percent at the very beginning and i would say that because most people's experiences with lawyers are, you know, based in negativity. It's when bad things happen. It's when they get a crap deal. It's when somebody steals their music. It's when, you know, when there's a negative situation. However, in terms of, of a music lawyer, you want somebody there uh, from the very beginning who understands you as an artist, who understands what it is that you want to do or, you know... A, I work for a lot of record labels, so what the record label wants to do, what their what their reason for getting into that is. And that might not be something that you pay me to do. It may not be something that you instruct me uh, to do sort of legal work on, but I do uh, advice sessions as well. So it, it, it's part of, you know, I see the music industry lawyer as part of the team, you know, that you build around you as an artist. So whether, you know, that's the same as your, as your merchandising guys, the same as your record label, your manager, your publisher, your accountant, you know, it's part of the greater team. And so that when, you know, a, a number of my clients don't, you know, it's not panic stations when they call, it's, Johnny, I'm thinking about doing this, uh, you know, how would that affect the label? How would that affect the band? And it's a, it's a positive relationship that we've got. Yes, we deal as lawyers with uh, the bad stuff and when people's music gets ripped off or when somebody leaves the band or a record label doesn't pay somebody. Yeah, we've got to deal with all that. And, you know, people pick up the phone and we, we sort that out. But I would always say get involved from the early stages. Um, apart from anything else, the music 
business is called the business for a reason. It is a business, um, and therefore you are you are presumably getting involved with the business and within an industry in order to to make some kind of um, gain out of it, whether that be financial or whether that be sort of moral or, or just an accumulation of yarn. But it is a business, and therefore understanding the mechanics of the business, of which legal is one, I think is paramount. And as I say. of my clients, I don't have daily contact with them, but we do have regular contact and I'm I'm updated. I know what they're doing. I know know what they're working on. And sometimes there's little bits of advice. Sometimes there's legal work to be done. A friend of mine, and it is a friend, it's not me I'm talking about. I'm beyond all that. He's in a band and they've all decided that although there's he's the main writer, that they're just going to split everything four ways. Is that the sort of understanding at a musician's level that goes on to just become a complete and total nightmare when and if money actually enters the scene. Very much so, yeah. I get involved with so many situations of, well, this is what was said in the rehearsal studio 12 years ago, but all of a sudden that little song that became, that was agreed between the four of us is now actually attached to an advert and it's making a lot of number, uh, a lot of money. And actually it's Stevie, the guitarist, who wrote it. So it's really his song. These types of arguments crop up and when money comes into play, it's amazing the uh, the, the seismic ship, uh, shift in relationships within the band. So we, we deal a lot with like, very basic, inter-band agreements that sets up who owns what, who gets what, um, and it's done and dusted in part, and then everybody gets on with the job of creating music and being a musician, rather than all these little antagonisms kicking into the relationship and all these doubts, because that is ultimately what breaks up uh, a lot of bands, um, is money. And is is that something that bands, for example, could approach you or your your firm? Is there an off the shelf solution or are we talking big bucks from the get-go absolutely not no i mean it's things like that are very very basic and it can be done for uh, a nominal amount of money what we try to do as lawyers um uh, it's not reinvent the wheel and every agreement doesn't have to be war and peace you know i'm all for simplicity and plain english um there are many lawyers um that like the sound of their own voice and like 400 words will do or, or, or will be better than one. I'm not one of them. I'd rather, I'd rather just get what the, what the client wants done. Um, and so something like that can be done very, very easy. For simple agreements like that, Jed, you don't necessarily need to go to a lawyer either. I mean, places like the Musicians Union, which are a fantastic support structure for musicians, um, they have um, they have template agreements um, that you can use as a member for free. So, yes, I'm not trying to do myself out of business, obviously, but you don't always have to have a lawyer for for these types of agreements. PRS for music, for example, they have advice sessions. The PPL do as well. The, the MUs are mentioned. Then you've got places like um, or organisations like the SMIA, the Scottish Music Industry Association, which has... Uh, loads of advice sessions with people like myself, but also you know, they have access to templates as well and you know, a wealth of uh, material. So um, if you are, if people are particularly serious about getting involved in the industry and making it a, a career uh, or trying to derive some kind of uh, monetary return out of it, then there's lots of support in place, a lot more than certainly when I started in the industry 25 years ago or something. So there are things out there. So you don't always have to come to a lawyer to even to get a simple agreement done. There are there are ways and means. We look back at the history of music and it, it, it seems to be that musicians are 
forever getting ripped off. I mean, Bill Nelson of Bebop Deluxe, as I understand it, is still fighting to get some money for those albums. Um, yeah, I mean... The guy out of Spinal Tap, the bassist, he's just taken... Is it? I can't remember who's taken... Within the last couple of years, the company that, that made Spinal Tap, they're, they're going to court again to try and get some money out of them these are the sort of shenanigans that can go on is and and that you're you've been talking about in a, a positive way of avoiding or does it avoid it are these people always just going to try and rip you off i don't think so i think the the music industry has changed dramatically um since the, the 50s and 60s and 70s and the deals on the back of fag packets there is a lot more um information available these days uh, artists um, are a lot more educated on their rights and what is right and what is wrong and yes there will still be uh, unscrupulous individuals like there are in any industry that will that will be doing things for the betterment of themselves and not for their artist or for for their clients however those are few and far between, and these cases that you met are mentioning. These deals, uh, these were deals that were done so long ago and so badly done. Um, but the music industry isn't the big bad behemoth that a lot of people make out to be. A lot of artists um, that, when I hear that statement, oh, the music industry ripped me off. Well, I don't necessarily. I take I take them with a pinch of salt because what you what you'll often find is the artist forgets um, that the music industry paid for all the bills in the first place, and without that, um, without that help and support structure, they might not have got uh, anywhere at all. Um, that being said, yes, I know that, that the industry is littered with really crap stories. But I don't, and I and I genuinely don't believe that that is the way of things anymore. I don't believe that artists are being uh, as negatively exploited um, as they as they once were. I mean, taking aside all, all that stuff about Spotify and, and artists and transparency, but in terms of the type the types of um, thing we're talking about today, in terms of the the, the legal industry. Uh, all the contracts, all these bad contracts. I, I genuinely don't think it is uh, uh, as as it was. So, Johnny, that something you touched on something there that when I was thinking about this interview, I, I wanted to bring up, and that was Spotify. And I, I'm not wanting a sort of a legal perspective, just your own feelings about it. I mean, it seemed to me, and okay, I'm not a lawyer, I don't know much about law at all, but it seemed to me from the outside as a musician that it was yet another classic example of big business cutting out the musician and someone else paying loads of money to someone else i.e. the big record companies to gain access to the music whilst not actually helping the musicians that actually created the music is there any weight in that view at all or is that just total bunkum well there's a couple of points here one companies like spotify are massively uh, or making massive amounts of money on the back of there's no doubt about that. I think one thing that has to be understood, though, is it's not necessarily Spotify or these other platforms that set the deals that only pay 0.001%. Uh, these uh, companies, these levels are set by record labels, by publishers. So Spotify uh, do have the power and do have the ability to change that, but they're relying on, well, it wasn't me, sir. It's a big boy did it and ran away type approach. There is a, there is an argument to be said that Spotify are just uh, a, a victim of something that the industry has set up. What what the pro or where the problem lies, as I see it, 
is the, the, the lack of transparency between uh, the different fractions of the music industry, between the publishers, between the collection societies, between the record labels, between the online platforms, about who owns what. And when you go through all these multiple fractions, you soon find out that the one who comes off the worst is, uh, is inevitably the artist. And that there is, there is the definite argu- argument on my side that the artist needs uh, sort of fairer, uh, fairer treatment there. I think that there are there are there's a lot of movement uh, at the moment in in addressing that. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot more of a way to go to get what the artist deserves in terms of return. But if, for example, Spotify and I'm just using Spotify, there's multiple multiple platforms. But obviously, Spotify is the one that's in the news the most. But if Spotify were to pay what some artists are claiming is a, a, a fair price for on return for the music, then Spotify would last about a week and there would be no more Spotify because it's just not a sustainable model what some artists are suggesting in terms of the returns. So there has to be some kind of, again, meeting of the minds. And I think artists also have to come to the negotiating table with a bit of a, a, a bit more of a, a, an open and transparent kind of approach. And by that, I mean that they, they, they have to understand that the industry, they have to work with the industry as well as the industry working with them. There is still a, there is still a, a, a big them and us between artists and industry. And I don't think that serves anybody particularly well. Is this, though, just to round off that whole Spotify thing, a bit, a bit ham, it's a bit of Hamlet here. How can we go to the king when the king's the baddie? I mean, it was the record deals that did the deal didn't they without yeah. did, did they actually speak to the artists about giving them access to all the music and the sort of deals that would be cut no no the, the, i don't think the artist was even uh, considered it's what the it's what the the record labels decided that would be fair and bear in mind by fair i mean what would be a, a good return for the record label however um as i say i think that that um that model is not I don't. I don't see it as as continuing for for too much longer, because um, especially over the last eighteen months, artists are even more aware of their rights and more aware of the return on their their art. So there is a lot of talk, um, and it, it's going up through through very very strong organisations. There's a big big movement within UK music at the moment, um, and some of the other societies are are, are meeting with the online platforms to really hammer this out. And a lot of the representatives that are now speaking on behalf of the artists are the artists themselves, as opposed to Bob in a tie from the record label that's got not the artist's um, interest at, best, uh, at heart. So I think, personally, we will see a shift in how um, artists are rewarded and a, a positive shift. And I think we'll see that um, sooner rather than later. So do you think, Johnny, this whole uh, digital revolution, which all the chips were chucked into the air, do you think things are beginning to settle down and people in the industry are starting to see a way through that, that is fair, fairer for more people? In the industry, yes, I do. I do. I think. Um, I think, as I say, you know, artists. By all means, you know, for your listeners and subscribers here, yeah, I, 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 I know we think that this is an overnight solution, but I, there are there are movements, positive movements toward fairer treatment for artists and fairer remuneration for artists. Um, and I think the the labels themselves. I mean, oh, you only have to look at some of the, the the movements within the labels themselves and to see who is now appointed. 
it's some of the biggest record labels at the moment. They've now got um, newly created positions, so they've got artists liaison people there who are actually recording artists on the label so that they have a voice at the top table rather than all these suits that are beholden to shareholders. These are people that are now the, the actual people that are directly affected to directly affected by the decisions that the board take. Um, so artists are now get, getting a, a, a stronger voice heard. And when you've got huge global voices like Taylor Swift, like Drake, that are standing up and going, hey, this isn't fair. This isn't happening. When you've got Stormzy going, you know, badmouth and Spotify at the Brit Awards and, and things like that, the movement is more positive on the side of the artists. But it's also um, it's also highlighting this to the consumer, which is really important because all of these deals and what happens have all been done cloak and dagger style behind closed doors. And it's well, it's the record industry that's what happens. But at the end of the day, if you've got um, your end user, your, your you know your um, your subscriber to Spotify, whatever the platform may be, and they are more informed what is actually happening, then they can they can decide with the with a click of their thumb or not, and that is where it will hit Spotify and, uh, and platforms like that, is which there, will be. Is there any evidence to suggest that the consumers care? If they can get it for free, more or less. Well, that that's a good point because there is not. There is evidence to suggest that the the uh, and there's been a, a number of reports. UK Music done one last year um, or the year before on um, on this very subject, and consumers do care. However, when offered something for nothing or close to nothing, they will vote with their wallet. And so that the, there has to be some kind of way to make that that the bridge between caring and uh, and sharing i suppose that's, that's an excellent way to wrap that one up now yep. you you talked about about a whole gamut of areas that you're involved with Johnny. Mm-hmm. what what is the biggest area of work that a, a music lawyer has to deal with well the biggest thing that music lawyers tend to have to deal with has got nothing to do with music law <laughs> it, it's I, I spend a lot of time being a social worker um or a relationship advice <laughs> ah. um, or it, feel, it feels like that sometimes bands don't see eye to eye um record labels are kind of get their, their artists motivated enough and uh, or, or the artists don't think that the record label or publisher is working hard enough for them so a lot of the time it's about um managing relationships as well as just going in and being a cold hard person that, that, that writes a contract but in terms of like, like the biggest or the most work I do uh, well as I said earlier a lot of the work that I'm doing is on licensing um, uh, and so that's working uh, working with artists that rather than the recording agreements that we're, we're historically used to, it's looking at license agreements whereby there's a lot more control at the side of the artist. They can pick and choose who they want to license their music and material to or their literature um, or films, as it may be we're doing one at the moment. There's a lot of work about that. And I think that that's quite a positive thing because, there, as I say, there's a control element and there's a time element with that. An artist, for example, that we're dealing with at the moment has... Um, has a song which is a particularly a particularly well-known song within sort of the Scottish landscape and as such they are they have the ability to pick and choose products that it's associated with record labels that, that it wants to go out on and that's that's really interesting because they can they can really monetize that and they can really control what's happening with it whereas before 
Um, that song was actually attached to a repertoire on our recording contract, um, which is now, now defunct, but it, they had very little control over what happened with it. Um, so artists are starting to be a little bit more savvy that way and realise that, well, in actual fact, I don't need that big record label because I've actually recorded the material myself. Um, so I want to retain ownership. And what really the record label can do is to market and distribute. Well, actually, I can work with a PR company so I can license to a PR company. And actually, I don't need the record label to distribute because I've got an independent distributor. And so we get involved in all these different areas. Um, so rather than one all-encompassing contract that says I own you forever and you can't do anything about it, the artists go, well, actually, that doesn't suit me. So they'll go and shop about. So I think that that's a really positive thing um, because it retains uh, the, the control element that stays with the, with the artist there. And if it doesn't work out, well, they shop elsewhere. It's like, it's like buying a car. If, if you don't like the car, we'll go and get another one. Or a bottle of beer, we'll try that. It's crap, we'll get an next one. So There was something you said earlier on which some people listening to this uh, around the world, and there seems to be, uh, as I mentioned quite a few times, a lot of people in America listening to this. You talked mm-hmm. about IP, Johnny. Can you give yeah. a brief and quick... Uh, explanation of what IP is to the folk out there? Yeah, well, IP is actually intellectual property. So that's your anything that, you know, comes from your mind and ends up tangibly uh, put down somewhere. So your IP can be can be your music, it can be your, lit- uh, your written words, it can be your designs, it can be logos. In terms of the IP work that we're involved with, as I say, I do a lot of trademarks. We look at a lot of copyright uh, for music, for literature, for film. Um, and it's really um, it's it's protecting that uh, that element and exploiting it. That's what IP lawyers really do. Okay. Now, when I was working in with the record company many moons ago, or do more work with that, I obviously would I came into contact with music lawyers, came in contact with people like you. And one thing that came through to me, and uh, I suddenly realised, was that lawyers are connected with so many people in the business or area that they are involved with. And I think a lot of musicians don't recognise that, do they? That the connections you have, I mean, I would say it's probably fair to say that you are probably connected in Scotland to anyone who's anyone in the business. Would that be fair to say? Well, it's, it's a small territory, yeah, but it goes back to my earlier point about being part of the team. I, I, one of the great things that I'm able to do, because I've been doing this uh, for, for a while now, is if I have an artist um, that's looking for, I'll give you an example. So I had an artist about three months ago, so it was a, a management contract. So we had a manager, but in actual fact, what the manager was trying to do was seek a publishing deal because the, the artists themselves were quite prolific songwriters. Well, I, I so happened to, to work with a lot of publishers we were able to network and put people in touch. So we ended up doing doing the deal on the back of that. So things like that are really important. So going back to my point, it's about being part of this overarching team within the industry. And another big part of my job is business development because without without that and knowing who is doing what in the industry and what's actually working well, I'm not going to be able, you know, I'll stand still, I'm not going to be able to progress with my business area or what I practice in or, 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 or with my firm. Um, and so it's really, really important to, to network and to get out and actually see these other fractions of the of the industry and the other business elements it's vital in, in fact uh, i'm going to wrap this up fairly shortly but I, I did want to talk to you about music education you were involved with that can you tell us a, a little about that and uh, how you got into that and where that all went johnny 
many moons ago, I was a student at uh, Julianese Valley College, and I did one of the um, music business courses. There. It was music industry management and marketing. And then I went away and worked with artists and toured, and about 10 years later, I got invited back to do some guest lecturing and, and actually teach on the course that I was on, which was amusing and fascinating to me and very, very frightening because I'd never, ever done anything like that before. I'd done some... I do guest speaking and panels and all that kind of stuff, but I never ever stood in front of a, a room full of students um, and lectured. And um, I, I found a preposterous idea when it was proposed to me. But then I thought, well, why not? You give these things a, a, an opportunity. And I did that for a few months. And then the Academy of Music and Sound was opening up in Edinburgh. And it was the first of its kind of, well, first sort of um, specialised instrument and music business sort of local school. Perth College, I think, had had courses like that before, but this was quite a dedicated one. And it really interested me, um, that sort of concept, to be able to be instrument specific, uh, but contemporary as well, but also have the business element into it. And so I, I took on as being the, the manager of the Edinburgh site in I don't know, 2000 and whatever it was. And from there, I ended up taking over the Glasgow uh, and Newcastle one as the sort of regional manager. So that was looking, it was it was the development and the commercial aspects with it. And then I wasn't really involved in curriculum. We had people, we had we licensed people to write that, uh, you know, experts. And then from there, I progressed on the vice principal position. So I looked after the nine colleges um, that we had at the time. Wow. And I I. I love that role. I mean, I really did because with 16-year-old upwards um, uh, musicians that were coming into to music and to education for the love of it, there were so many great artists that we had through. We had Louis Capaldi. We had Laura Mavula. We had people from the Vamps. We had Callum Beatty um, and various other and, – and loads and loads of other great students, some some of whom are, are, are still friends um, and are still in contact with today. So I, I, I loved that role. Uh, I really did. And it was so rewarding seeing somebody uh, come in you know, at 16 years of age – Having had not a great time at school, perhaps they were not the most academic of individuals, but music and creativity was their way to express themselves and that's what they loved it. And it was really, really, it was brilliant actually to give them a, a voice and a place to go to. So I'd done that, of, of, I was with the Academy for 10 years. And it was only because I, I I was getting involved with the law a lot more uh, that I moved, or I'd probably still be there, to be fair. So it's still going, the Academy of Music and Sound, Johnny? It is, yes, it is, yeah. I think it's a little bit smaller now, um, and uh, there, are, there are less sites now. There's, there's a lot more move on to online learning, as you know, um, so the need for physical sites is not quite uh, uh, the demand it was. And also, the last couple of years have not been particularly good to any sort of business where you've got to do uh, to have interaction one on one. So I think that's I think that's played a part in it as well. But no, uh, in terms of um, in terms of rewards, that's probably one of the most rewarding roles I've ever been involved with. Um, just to to, to 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 have a hand in that. Johnny, I'm going to let you go now. I just want to thank you for taking the time to to speak to gmi it's fantastic to have someone who's an expert in his field and done so much and certainly an, an area that i've not seen many interviews on and people talking about you see if people want to get in touch with you is it only people in scotland or the uk that should or could anyone get in touch with you or should you always just go to a, a local music lawyer 
Well, you should, if you're looking for general advice, I'm happy to say anybody. Music industry advice is music industry advice. But in terms of any specific legal advice, well, jurisdictions are all different around the world. And you should, depends where you're contracting, your your problem is based. But, um, I, you know me, Jed, my door's always open. I'm quite happy uh, to have a chat with anybody. Well, I'm part of an international network as well. So we, although I can't advise certain people in certain territories, I work with people that can. So if you have an issue... Uh, if I can't help with it, I can certainly try and find somebody that can. Fantastic advice. Johnny, thanks so much for talking to me today and being part of the interview. It's been fantastic. No problem. Thanks very much, Jed. I hope that it was um, moderately interesting for some people. Absolutely. Bye for now. Bye-bye. When it comes to the roundup, I always feel I kind of say the same thing, which is, wasn't that interesting? And I'm going to say it again today, wasn't that interesting? Because... I really did find it interesting, all the different areas that Johnny works in. And I think the most important thing for me was how, knowing music lawyers, their access to so many other people in the business end of things. Also the advice for new bands. If any of you out there, wherever you are, want to get in touch with them, the GMI's website, guitarmusicinstitute.com, will have all the details and links. So thanks so much for being part of the show again, listening to it. Uh, It's great to see all the numbers of the people all around the world who are listening into the show. It's the thing that makes me continue to do it, actually, knowing that there's so many great people to interview and talk about their life and music, and there's so many people that are now listening to the show. So if you've liked it, please spread the word. I would really appreciate it. Lots of books for sale on Amazon. If you want to know what the specific books are, then come to guitarmusicinstitute.com to find out what those books are on Amazon. Or if you go to the gmiguitarshop.com, in most cases you can buy, at a slightly increased price, flat lie spiral bound copies. The latest one was Sea Shanties for Guitar. My name's Jed Brockett. Best wishes. Bye for now.